0: Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hey, everyone. I am so excited for today's guest, the amazing Rachel Koo. I have been looking forward to having this conversation with her on the podcast for basically as long as I've met her here in London. Um, She's really awesome. If you don't happen to know who she is, you're in for a real treat. Among her many creative endeavors, cookbooks travel TV shows, cooking TV shows, running a lifestyle magazine, just to name a few of them. Most recently, she released her sixth cookbook, The Little Swedish Kitchen. So she first hit the international media scene with her BBC show, The Little Paris Kitchen, and cookbook of the same name, and has since then expanded her brand to include discovery and inspiration worldwide as you'll hear her talk about. She describes her big passion as simply finding creative solutions for anything, anything life throws at her. So we walk through the little steps of her path that have gotten her to her big goals. And she also really candidly talks about some of the new obstacles in her career, but the things that she's learned along the way that help her navigate the challenges of professional life. I took notes of things she said, you guys, as I was editing this. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Her pursuit of creativity has gotten her far, but she's quick to note that failures
1: along the way are a part of the journey. If you want to be successful in life, with work, professionally, you have to be willing to make a fallout yourself and willing to fail. And that's something I've learned is you are constantly failing. To to succeed means failure. And people don't really talk about that a lot. I've admired
0: Rachel's work for
1: many years, but
0: as I've gotten to know her since moving to London, which she does visit frequently, although she lives in Stockholm, Sweden now, I've really come to respect her hustle.
1: Nothing comes from nothing. If you want something, you've got to make it happen. I chatted with Rachel at the Collect
0: Studio. It's a space that she started and designed right here in London. I pressed record just before asking her to do the audio check counting. And this is what happened. Okay, so you want me to count some 10?
1: Yes, please. Any particular language? Oh my. <laughs> Pick one that's not English. Okay, well we have French, German or Swedish uh, available. Any preference? Let's do Swedish. Okay. Et två tre fyra fem sex sju åtta nio tio.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. and the conversation really just started from there so i will just let the tape roll. that's me
1: practicing with my son <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how many how many languages does your son
1: speak uh well a two-year-old his version yeah, okay, of english yeah. and his version of swedish Svenglish, right. and then the toddler talk fair enough so four i'd say fair enough um Okay,
0: let's hop right into
1: it. I feel yeah. like
0: uh, we basically have already started this with your awesome Swedish county, which I did not anticipate. That's the best countdown introduction ever.
1: Hey, I was just me showing off. My dad would be so embarrassed. Like, Rachel, you need to be more humble.
0: <laughs> I liked it. Um, let's, let's explain where we are right now. This mm. is a beautiful space. Take so, it away. So we're
1: at the Collect Studio, which is basically a space I created uh, in London for me to come and stay because i'm normally based in stockholm so i stay here but i also it's like for photo shoots i shot some of my cookbook here i've done youtube videos we did a video together here we did i'll link to it in the show notes exactly you have to watch it if you haven't seen it actually we've done two videos together yeah one was in sweden exactly you came to see i was shooting the little swedish kitchen you came with some good buns (laughs) and that's the kind of person i really like come with buns (laughs) today you came with cookies you're always welcome <laughs> come and visit me. And so we were shooting the little Swedish kitchen. You popped by the studio with some buns and then you came around to actually make some buns at the collect studio. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. And then I came another time when yes. you
0: had a bunch of awesome like bloggers and influencer people over um, when the little Swedish kitchen launched
1: exactly we did so I've done workshops here so it's like a multifunctional space in terms of like a a creative space you can use for various different things yeah so for me it's always been a dream to have that kind of space where you can invite people I mean this week I did a dinner with like some women I follow on Instagram I'm such a Geek. So I follow people on Instagram and then I'm like, oh, I really admire what you do. Do you want to come around for dinner? (laughs) And it doesn't always work, but sometimes people do. Well, it's
0: amazing and because that way you take it offline and you make
1: it an in-person connection. Yeah. And that's something I've always tried to do. I, I love social media. Well, I have a love hate relationship with it. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I love the way that it can introduce you to some, something or someone or some place that you might not be familiar to. And then if you can, try and connect to them in the real world. I think for me, that's more, I get more inspired from that. I get that real, like when I meet somebody and you sit down and have a cup of tea or you share a meal, that is, uh, it, it brings so much joy. I mean, that's the reason why I got into writing cookbooks or cooking in general when you share a meal, that's something so special. And even if it's a very simple meal of like scrambled eggs on toast, it's the joy of food, I think for me. Yeah, and sometimes simpler is better even. Yes. Yeah. You know, you can always win me over with a good piece of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you know good pieces of cheese. I follow you on Instagram. I was literally salivating when you were at Neil's Yard Dairy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I ate so much cheese. (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed about it.
1: Another thing
0: yeah. of bringing people together is having a space and that is what this is. And, yeah. and one reason that I wanted to start with where we are is because I feel like a little known Rachel Koo fact is that you are oh, oh the
1: doorbell. Okay. Oh, and, and this is now, sm- now this is suspense, <laughs> suspense for what I was about to say. Alright, be back in a second. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm just for the funniest. Okay. I remember what we are saying I <laughs> <I recall. laughs>
0: okay successful delivery situation yes. <laughs> okay so brr, drum roll yeah. I feel like a little known Rachel Ku fact yes. is that you are super handy and like crafty <laughs> so for instance this table yeah. that yeah. we are sitting at right now you
1: designed and made them Is that correct? Okay, so (laughs) I went to art college and for me it's always about finding creative solutions. And I wanted a table in my space that could be a coffee table, a dining table, a like workstation table, so three levels. Yes. This this is many things. Yeah. And can move around. So it has several wheels on it. Okay. So I was like, oh, how do I, and it has to look good as well. (laughs) So for me, design is always like functionality and aesthetics. Yeah. Um, And I was like, how do I find this table? I mean, does it exist? Couldn't find anything I liked. Then I started, oh, I like, I really like brass. And I was like, hmm, how do I get a brass table, which can be height adjustable and movable? And then I was like, hairdressing tables, but (laughs) hairdressing tables they're too flimsy and then i found for some reason i found a motorcycle hydraulic lift table which was on rollers what? <laughs> i don't drive a motorcycle i've never driven a motorcycle but somehow i stumbled across it so um there's this company up in the north of england they do tabletops a brass copper different metals to whatever size you want so i ordered the size i want the worktop And then I ordered one of these hydraulic lifts and I put them together. And now I have my table, which can be different heights and can move around. When it first occurred to me, just
0: all of the things that you had put together to make this table a reality, it's like the perfect (laughs) table. I was totally blown away. But it does make sense thinking about it because, yeah, a lot of people know you for food. Mm. But really, when I think of you now, especially having gotten to know you a bit, is like, You're just creative Mm. and food is a creative outlet for you, but it's certainly not the only one.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely something I would say because um, my background, I I did an arts degree and for me and my arts degree, it was always, you got given a brief. And then you worked in the medium, which was the right one for you. So whether it was graphic design, photography, web design, film, I was specialized in media. I ended up, we had an architect's project. So we had to do a, a, a shop model. I did mine in gingerbread. What? Yeah. So a scale model in gingerbread okay. with stained glass windows. Whoa. <laughs> and so even back at art college, I was into food in yeah. some
0: way. Okay. So, and it's all makes sense and that media played a role and that that's such a big part of
1: what you do yeah so I think everything with the what I do now comes together yeah so but like I said for me it's always about finding creative solutions that's what makes me tick not necessarily oh my goodness drum roll (laughs) I'm gonna tell everybody food (laughs) you know I love food but for me food is not the be-all and end-all what makes me tick is like you got a problem let's find a creative solution so whether for like creating this space the collect studio it's basically a ground floor flat a victorian ground floor flat which is not very big so i had to like design the space to make it work to do all these things Yeah. so how much of the little sweeters kitchen shooting did you do here well okay so it was a bit mad cuz i just completed renovating the space the kitchen just got in was got in and then um we had to shoot one day here on the same day there was a problem with the the drainage so I had four really burly guys running around with pipes (laughs) and trying to unlock the drain and there was like some explosive noises oh it was a bit nuts it was like crazy most of the book is shot in Sweden so we shot it over like six months or a bit more than six months so we shot it in winter time so about a year ago so we got the snow really cosy
0: and so the cookbook book is is broken up into mm. the four seasons yes. right and you have gorgeous gorgeous photos mm. throughout the entire book so i imagine in order to capture photographs from all four seasons that yeah it would have to span an amount of time in a year
1: yes it would and i think if you have that luxury um which and the budget because it's also a budget thing very fortunate with my publisher penguin that they had had that gave me that opportunity that we could shoot over the seasons because it 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 tells the story of what living in sweden is like because it's very season driven and it also um, it gives the writer the opportunity to develop the recipes, and to shoot ingredients in season, um, and not have the stress of trying to shoot it all in a week. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really enjoy that process. When you write a cookbook, a lot of it is like on your own in a kitchen, testing, writing, developing. A very solitary thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm loner. So boring. Yeah. <laughs> And then what I love is like you go to the shoot and you've got like I work with David Loftus, fantastic photographer. We've worked together like for many years now. Um, And then Frankie Unsworth, who is a food stylist, also has a cookbook out now. Very beautiful. Oh, cool. Yeah. She's
0: good. And our mutual friend, Izzy Hozak has been doing yes. like some, she's been assisting her on some shoots. Yeah,
1: exactly. Which is super awesome. Yeah. So it's a small world. It is a small world. It is. I, I love that. Do you, do you love yeah, that? I do love that. But it also means you have to be nice to everyone. Amen. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So
0: let's talk about community really quickly. Yeah. Who do you think of as your community or when you
1: seek community? community. What does that mean for you? It's an odd one because obviously you've got the social media, the online community. And, you know, I've realized like my following on social media is such a mixed bag because I do cookbooks, I do TV shows, I do different style TV shows. So I kind of do my own, which is like travel, cookery, discovery. And then the last couple of years I've been doing some both Just Desserts, which is a... Total different ball game. I'm like this glamorous '50s um, uh, judge, you're you a, know. You're a hottie. You're a I'm hottie. Like, well, <laughs> it takes an hour and a half of hair and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm like when the we just filmed season two, and I think that'll be airing. I don't know when. Later on this year, and it's filmed in Australia. Yeah, in Sydney, yeah. okay, in yeah. this crazy studio. Um, and I will, I will post a few back behind the stage like scenes, and uh, and people will realise. Yeah, it's not. Me just doing hair and makeup, which is what I normally do on my own TV shows. It's like, right, get the brush. Five minutes, a uh, bit lippy. Oh, do I need to brush my hair? Uh, Yeah, maybe. Wait, <laughs> really? Even
0: for, for your BBC shows, I you do, my do own your hair own, and own makeup- hair and makeup? Because there's
1: no budget. Really? Yeah. You look good. You pull it off. Well done. I'm not so <laughs> sure about the hair. I've got like, I've just been um, watching some of, uh, some like uh, clips of shows I've done and like, oh my goodness, I've got sticky out bits. And, <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's nuts, but I guess that makes it charming. that it's quite real and it's not too glossy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think
0: it also goes hand in hand with a lot, of, like your travel stuff. Like yeah. when you go to Malaysia and yeah. hang out with like your extended family there, it's like we are seeing you. And mm. if you if if you're if you didn't have those sticky outy bits of your hair, it wouldn't feel like we were as there with you as it does feel. So yeah. you know, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. <laughs> it does.
1: Yeah, so I have this like online community where people would know me from cookbooks, they know me from the TV shows. And I think it's more and more from TV shows than maybe cookbooks at the moment. And that so then you got that community, and then you have the community. The, the people you actually know you've met in the real world uh like you for instance mm-hmm. uh and so you have that real connection which is a lot tighter yeah and then you have um the community of people like you follow because you admire them so th- they're all these different like little pools of um communities I guess and you tap into them for different things I think well that's how I feel about it
0: yeah yeah totally that makes I think that that's what you have to do mm. to like stay sane
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i think so i mean like for me social media like i said it's a love and a hate thing i i love how it can bring people together how you can discover new things but also for me it's also like sometimes you just the obligation mm. of like oh i should be doing this i should be posting or like what you know and it's like yeah do I really need to do that? And I've become more and more like, oh I can't be bothered I'm not going to (laughs) which like some people might notice and I'm like oh you know I and I'm very like I don't post about my private life because I just want it to be private Mm -hmm. you know and also because I'm straight lazy I I, (laughs) like I I always admire people like who like right I'm gonna put my family out there I'm gonna put all you know uh, like they they put everything out there and I'm like you it's just you make yourself so vulnerable
0: yeah I think it's tricky it's almost like a mudslide because you start to do it and then you do it more, but then you just, you can't ever do it enough. Mm. Like even when you're sleeping, then what are you supposed to like get up in the middle of the night and be like, Hey, I'm sleeping. Bye. Like there's, there's, there's never an end point mm. to any of it. Yeah.
1: Right. It's yeah, I can understand that. I think it's just cause I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Symbols that I'm lazy and I can't be bothered. Like, you know, talking to my phone and, and saying, Oh, right. Today I'm going down. Like, I'm like, I can't even take like, you know, when I'm eating something really delicious, like, okay, I'll take a photo and I'll be like, I know I can make more of an effort to make it look good.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. I do not think of you as lazy. In fact, let this let this lead us into another thought which is that the more i've learned about your path Mm. the more i have realized how much work has gone into so much of it like you didn't fall into yes sure things happen once a ball gets rolling but you have worked so immensely hard to get to where you are so you mentioned before you went to art school um, for university and then like when you moved to Paris, which is, I think, where still probably a lot of people think of you as, like, that was kind of your big break, yeah. right? You went with, like, you you paid your way there. You nannied. You, you worked really, really hard. You put yourself through culinary school. Yeah. That kind of drive and that kind of, like, scrappiness is is incredible. And it has led to the successes that have followed it. Yeah. So no, I would not think of you as lazy, Rachel, but I understand, (laughs) I understand where you're going with the social media thing. Yeah. But so, so let's rewind and Mm. can you put your finger on what drove you to do this? Like to, to
1: go to France? Yeah. I don't know what drove me to go to France. Like for me, it's always the pursuit of creativity um, but I've always been somebody who's very hard-working I grew up in a family where both my mom and dad they've always worked very hard that was something they really kind of hammered into me as a kid mm. that hard work hard graft is what's gonna get you somewhere um, and it, it's it's nothing I've ever been afraid of and I realized nothing comes from nothing if you want something you've got to make it happen and like for me was I was in my mid-20s I'd graduated for art school I got a job in fashion PR marketing which wasn't really what I wanted to do and after a couple of years I'm like right I had a midlife crisis <laughs> I was like basically <laughs> I want to get into food um, and I don't want to live in London. I want to like, just switch things up a bit. How and can I do that? And by you mean really quarter, quarter life? <laughs> quarter <I> mean, <laughs> life, yeah, yeah. Oh young my at this time. Yeah, get That with like, yeah, quarter life <laughs> yeah. crisis. So quarter life crisis. And I was like, okay, I'm going to save some money so I can go to culinary school. I got a job as a like nanny when I lived in Paris. I worked so many different jobs. Like I worked in the department store selling really awful perfume, um, <laughs> like one which smells like like photocopy of fluid (laughs) very conceptual although Um, perfume that's very french of you yeah exactly you know what it was great for my french Mm. Uh, if anybody's planning on moving to france the thing i would recommend in terms of learning french is not to get a french boyfriend or girlfriend which Which everybody (laughs) says exactly like no um is actually to get a job or to do something which exposes you to french people Um, because when I went to language school in Paris, everybody just spoke English because that was the first language they'd learn. Whereas when I worked in the department store, I would gossip in French, I would have to sell in French. So that really elevated my level of French. So that's how I kind of, you know, learnt French. I would say, save yourself the money on language school and just do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and yeah, the other perk of getting a job that forces you to speak French is that you're also making money. You have an income.
1: so Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, that. So it was a kind of double benefit. Right. Um, although my sales were like, I got commissioned, so it wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, you know, get a job where you don't rely on commission if you're anything like me. At that point, I wanted to be a food stylist Mm. and I I researched, I spoke to food stylists who were established, I went to agencies and I'd done like, okay, this is showing my age. It was still back on film. Does anybody know what a film camera is? (laughs) You put a little roll of film in your camera and you take a photo. You've got to take it to the shop and get it developed, print it out and then you stick it in the portfolio. There was like no Instagram back then. Anyway, so I had a little portfolio of like shots I'd taken myself and the agents were saying, look, you need more practical experience, either work in a restaurant and go to culinary school. So I thought that would be my solution, my way into being a food stylist. And when I graduated from culinary school, I was like, oh, I don't really want to go back to London. I'm going to stay in Paris. And so I tried to make my way in Paris as a food stylist, but it was... It was pretty impossible because I didn't have any contacts, so I got other jobs. And my my break happened was the family who I natted for, the mother, had a friend who was opening a culinary bookstore. And she said, look, I know you really love cookbooks. Go speak to her. Maybe she needs an assistant. And so I started working for her at the culinary bookstore. We would have, um, like, nights where the author would come and, like, uh, sign their cookbook, launch their cookbook. And I would make, like, something from the cookbook. And I was always, like, hustling. I was like, hi, my name's Rachel. Um, I love your cookbook. Do you need any help for anything? Like, here's my here my details. Here's my card. Da, 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 da. And I met a, an, uh, a food writer, an American food writer based in Paris. And he wrote cookbooks. And he asked me to test recipes on his. And I finally wrote a couple of recipes. His editor liked what I did and they offered me a cookbook deal. Was this David Liebert's? No, no. This was uh, Mark Grossman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mark Grossman, he has a few vegetarian cafes and juice bars in Paris. Oh, cool. Okay. So I, I actually worked at some of his vegetarian cafes as well. Okay. So at the same time, so I was obviously writing testing develop, developing recipes but I also was like hustling doing my own thing so I would do culinary classes at the bookstore it only had a table and it had a tiny kitchen out back so if you wanted to do a workshop you'd have to come up with a concept that people could do without actually cooking A cookery class where you don't cook. (laughs) Okay. Hey, that goes back to your thing of like creative solutions. Yes. You had to think outside the box. Yeah. And so back then in Paris, I'm talking 10 years ago, nobody heard of a cupcake. Uh, cupcake. uh, What is that? Cupcake. (laughs) Sorry to the French people and horrified French (laughs) accent. So I did did these classes called Pimp My Cupcake. Well, fun. So people would come and they'd create these crazy... Kind of cupcake creations. I'd give them a little recipe card and show them how you make cupcakes. And it was just a really fun evening. I did a bento box class. I did an English tea time. So I'd come up with all these fun concepts of culinary classes, which also got me a consulting job for Volkswagen in Germany. Random. Yeah. But it's because I put myself out there and I was doing stuff.
0: How much of of the steps that you've Done have been based on intuition or gut.
1: So for me it's like um you the way I do my goals and stuff like that um it's like you have this big master plan. So uh, my master plan, my biggest goal when I was living in Paris is one day I want to have write my own cookbook. And I was like, well, how do I get there? So you work your way backwards. Well, to write a cookbook is I need experience. I need to have contacts. How do I get those contacts? You've got to put yourself in the right place. How do I meet that? You know, so you, you work your way in those little steps equate to big steps. Yeah. Because now here we are, you've written Six Six. cookbooks. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so (laughs) I've written six cookbooks. So I always think little steps get you to that big goal. Hmm. And even if that big goal doesn't work, so I'm still struggling. I say, like people say, oh, she's struggling. Yeah, right. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Look, I, I still pitch... Like 50, I'd say 80% of the projects I pitch are turned down. What? 80%, like, because I put out a lot of ideas. Like, for instance, I wanted to do a TV show about exploring small, multifunctional spaces and being inspired by that and creating my own space, which is the Collect Studio. I pitched that. I pitched that to TV channels. Did not work. TV's a hard one anyway. So I was like, well, look, I still want to do this project, but I need to find funding. Mm -hmm. So the way I looked at it then, I was like, right, okay, well, how can I get this sponsored? So I created Collect. Collect. And I used Collect's platform to entice brands to sponsor the space. So smart. So like we would write a post about how we're doing, what we're creating. At the end of it, we did videos, we did uh, photos, we put a press pack together. So the brands would have assets they could use. So that's how I got the project sponsored. And but in
0: order to know that that would be a good avenue, you needed to have enough familiarity with the industry to know where you could be of like
1: yeah well that's also a bit uh, my marketing PR background comes into you know play there because that's what you
0: were doing in London before you moved to Paris exactly and then
1: having a sales a sense for sales okay yeah I think when you work for yourself you are always selling Yeah, that is what we're doing. We're selling something. Yeah, whether it's an idea, or whether it's a recipe or whether it's a product, we're always selling something.
0: Yeah, I get a little exhausted about that sometimes. Do Mm. you does that? Or are you just like, No, it's a part of the gig? I'm doing it. Of course it.
1: you get exhausted. Yeah, okay. Good. I just want to be sure. It's absolutely normal to get exhausted, okay. <laughs> you know, But it, it, and that's where it's important to take time off yeah. and to recuperate and to have like downtime. I, in August, so my cookbook came out in July and I was just so exhausted in August. I would drop my son off at nursery. Don't tell my husband this. And then I would get back into bed and I would just watch Netflix for a couple hours. And I was like And I needed like that week of not doing anything, or the like I still answered emails and doing the bare minimum where I could just like, you know what? I can't my brain can't handle this. I just like pushed this. Book out and it's like of oh, reading yeah. a book is a
0: bit like a baby, right? I mean, yeah. it takes it, it took like a year to yes. write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so let's go back to the okay. cookbook wait, for wait, a wait. second. Yeah. So it's kind of like your Swedish recipes. Yes. And so
1: it's so I think all my cookbooks, it's always inspired by something. So the Little Paris Kitchen, people think, like, oh, it's French food, but. It's my version of French food and what I experienced in Paris. Um, The same thing about now living in Sweden, I've lived there for three years. It's what I experienced in Sweden, and the food I've experienced because I don't know everything about Swedish food. You know, um, I know Magnus Nilsson. The- yeah, you you worked with him. Yeah, well, I I staged for two you weeks. You staged for. From- I scrubbed his restaurant toilet. But like,
0: here's <laughs> here's another example of like of your hustle, Rachel. Yeah. Seriously, because this is after you are famous, basically, and you have sold
1: cookbooks and had TV shows and you went and staged totally i mean so i went to stage for him in 2012 so it was after the little paris kitchen came out on bbc and the TV, uh, the cookbook and it was a whirlwind and i was like you know what I'm gonna go work at a restaurant in the north of Sweden. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) And um, I remember, cause you have to, you fly into Stockholm, then you get another flight on a little plane, then you get a train and then I got picked up and I've never felt so sick in my stomach, like butterflies. I was like, this is gonna be so scary. I've never worked in that kind of fine dining restaurant. I'd worked in restaurants, you know, that's not a problem, but like that kind of level. I was like so scared. Like, literally so scared. Um, but everybody was lovely. Even when I totally messed up one of the canapes. Like, I had to make these tartlets, these blood tartlets. And they stuck in the tin. And, like, oh, it was horrific. I wanted, the, the like, the ground to swallow me up. And, oh. and Magnus just looked at me. And he's like, right, next dish. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to oh. die. I'm going to die. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but for me, it was like, you know what? I've got two weeks in my life where I can do this. Why not? Like going to work at Fairviken, this restaurant for me was something so out of my world and out my comfort zone that I thought, I just need to do it. And, and like, uh... Doing something outside your comfort zone is very hard to do because mm-hmm. it takes so much. Like it's scary. And you, it's like, t- like you've got to make a fool out yourself. Yeah, you know? Just accept it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think if you want to be successful in life, with work, professionally, you have to be willing to make a fool out yourself and willing to fail. And that's something I've learned is you are constantly failing. To, f- to succeed means failure. And b- people... F- Don't really talk about that a lot. Um, And that's why I think it's so important, like those projects might not work or they might be a total like failure, you know, but what can you learn from that failure? Or if that door doesn't open, how can you look at it and make something good out of it? The biggest example for me was when i lived in paris i lived in a crappy 21 square meter apartment with paper thin walls mold on the ceiling the wallpaper was coming down the windows didn't shut the electricity wiring was from the 50s which was hanging loose in the in the bathroom but i looked at my two ring hob and i looked at my little toy oven and i'm like you know what i don't have money i don't have money to open a restaurant I don't have money to kit out this kitchen into amazing space, but I will make it work to write this cookbook, The Little Paris Kitchen. And
0: then, but that was your angle too. You made it work for you.
1: Yeah, and then I thought, well, look, I need to test recipes, and I need to get some money to cover the ingredients cost. So I, I'll do a table for two, hmm. and so this was pre-Instagram. So I had a mailing list, I had Facebook, and I had people just like uh, reply to my email. They want to come this day for lunch, da, da da da, and that's how I did it. And then when I was writing the cookbook, I thought, well, this would make a good TV show. Well, I felt. it would make a good tv show so i was like how do i make a tv show oh i've got to meet some production companies and then i went around production companies in london say hey my name's rachel i do this blah 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 what do you think some of them said well this was like when i was just about to turn 30 uh how old are you <laughs> <laughs> or i think we need to part you, you up with another guy hmm. uh, an older man particularly had to be an older man Oh gosh! Um, or maybe we should rebrand the show queen of tarts so <laughs> but for me it was really important to stick to my gut mm-hmm. gut is going to be the buzzword for 2019 yeah as it should be as <laughs> it should be i support that yeah, one yeah. so and i found a production company who got what i was about and said look let's just do a little taster like pilot and we filmed that and I went to the BBC I made biscuits and they commissioned a series now it's not that easy (laughs) but, but it's like you know what if you have an idea just go for it and if it doesn't work the way you want it to work, like like when I wanted to pitch the uh, uh, interior small space sh- TV show, that didn't work out. So I thought, well, I'll do it a different way. You know, find a different angle. If it doesn't work one way, maybe it'll work another way. And if it's a complete, complete failure, then you're like, sit down for a moment and assess, well, why didn't it work? Mm -hmm. And and what can you learn from that? So the Collect Studio, so now it's just a studio, but at one point I had five people working for me creating content. So it was a content. Full-time full-time it was a content like a hub like writing stories it was kind of a a magazine and i I really wanted to create lots of interesting content about creative people and i just couldn't make it work financially and i was on the sales i was out hustling brands like trying to get brand partnerships And um, unfortunately it didn't work out. And I was like, right, it's not working how I want to. I'm going to have to switch my idea of like having this content platform and just make it into a creative studio. But what I learned from doing all those sales pitches to brands. Now, this is something I, re- well, one of the things I learned is like, not everybody knows you. <laughs> so it's like, you ring up some PR director and I'm like, hi, I'm Rachel Koo. They're like, Rachel who? <laughs> <laughs> um, so always be humble. Always like say, look explain who you are but also having the guts to do cold calling mm-hmm. you know and pitch things and that came in handy for when I was pitching partnerships for my cookbook because I wanted to partner up with brands yeah. to do a really cool workshop yeah which I did which you did yeah so yeah just having that approach to like being open to finding inspiration wherever you can. And yeah. that was the tagline for collectors, inspiration everywhere, you know, in the small things as well as the big things, like people who cite traveling and these big idols. But your inspiration can come from like an old guy you meet down the street who's been making, I don't know, shoes for 50 years or something like that. And he tells you a story or whatever. And I think it's like seeking that information from wherever and where whenever you can yeah and not expecting something big and grand always it can be the small things
0: did you do you have people who you look to who that you would look to almost as like a guiding light or a north star or like inspiration or like this person i want to be like this person even though you were kind of the first of doing what you did, which might make it challenging. You can't necessarily follow in someone's footsteps, but was there that person for you that you kind of looked to?
1: Like, cause I I remember when I kind of first made it big with the little Paris kitchen, I used to get asked a lot, you know, who were like my food writing or my chef heroes. And, um, I would always say my first was my mum and my grandma because of their work ethic they had, and then now at the moment, like um, I try and take my inspiration from so many areas, like Vincent, Seth, Godin. I always think you just have to be a sponge.
0: One of the reasons that I bring up the question of like who do you look to for inspiration and who do you, you know, who you know is someone whose footsteps you would like to do is because I think you are that for a lot of people. And I actually have some friends who you are that for. And so I actually asked them to... Um, oh, put some
1: questions together. Put some questions but together. Look, another good example yeah. for me, Beat, like I follow you on Instagram and for me, I love your energy and I love the way, like this week you were like, right, I'm going to do a newsletter. I've done this video. I'm doing this podcast. And I'm like, my goodness, this woman is putting out all this content. How does she do it? You know, so... Uh, Like I said, it can be anyone and anywhere. And like absorbing that energy from somebody, it's great. Mm, Yeah, like feeding on other people. Exactly. And I always think it helps, you know, try and surround yourself with people who will elevate you, will push you.
0: So I do have a few questions for you via... Some friends. All right. My friend, Julie. So she's another YouTuber. She's based in Toronto. Okay. I've been to Toronto once. Hey, hey. Yeah. yeah. Um, She's fantastic. Let me, let me play this for you. Hi, Rachel. I am such a huge, huge fan. I've been watching your videos for years and I have so many questions. So here we go. So when you first started out as a Brit cooking French food and creating French food videos, did you ever feel like an imposter? And what was the reception from the audience? I know for myself, whenever I cook something that is not from my country of origin, I get a lot of flack from the audience. And I'm wondering what your experience was like.
1: So when I first started, I mean, the typical is like, oh, uh, the English, they can only make roast beef, roast beef. Um, so it would always help when I had them round for dinner in my tiny kitchen and I cook food. Uh, but it was funny because like the little Paris kitchen was translated into French and um, I had to do press in France for it. They loved La Petite Anglaise, the little English lady. Oh. And so uh, I would speak French and, moi um, je parle comme ça, pas très mais so when I when I speak French, I don't have a very strong English accent but when I was doing these interviews I realised um oui je parle un peu comme ça oh. avec un accent anglais they preferred that a little really? like, cause it, I was like a savvy saleswoman I was like I put on a little English accent when I speak French and then uh, it helped with the book sales yeah <laughs> but I'd say in general look Just because you're not from that country doesn't mean you can't cook somebody else's food. And it's your interpretation. I mean, I've done the same with Swedish food. I cook Japanese sometimes, but I say Japanese. It's my version of Japanese. It's never going to be like your Japanese grandma, you know? So we live in a multicultural, global society, and everybody should be able to cook anybody's food. God, I know it can get a bit political. We just want to cook delicious food. And if we mix up the ingredients or... like. I say in my Swedish cookbook if you don't have like knäckebröd, Swedish crackers then use like toasted sourdough yes and like that is keeping it quirky right because it's yeah. like don't
0: yeah just like lighten up <laughs> exactly yeah
1: there are always like this goes for anything There's always going to be people who don't like what you do and that's when you put yourself out there there are people who are going to crit- critique it. Like I, I know from Zumbo's Just Desserts, I get a lot of like people tweeting particularly on twitter like oh that british woman get rid of her you know she's so grumpy or oh, you're always such grumpy? a grumpy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you're like you're so mean blah 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 da, da, da. I think so-and-so should have won and I'm like I never I just block them I ignore them but what I really want to say is like lighten up it's a tv show the editors in post-production are Obviously they edit it in a certain way so they get that dramatic reaction. Mm. You know, it's like big deal. Yeah, totally. You know what, you've put yourself out there, you've taken the risk. Would that other person do that? They're not. They're just criticising. So, look, mm-hmm. just, like, take it with a pinch of salt.
0: Here's another question
1: from Miss Julie Nolke.
0: Given the intense influence that social media has had on cooking videos and food videos and and how we understand food, where do you think cooking videos will be in five years?
1: Ooh, where will cooking videos be in five years? Um, uh, oh, I don't know. Like, because I... I for a while I was doing YouTube videos and I got a lot of slack saying oh the production values are not the same as on your TV show well hello well no doubt (laughs) like I am paying for it myself out my own pocket and then people would complain like oh why aren't you posting more often and I'm like well because I have no more money to pay the videographer Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so they're like um I think the videos will be like uh, the production levels have gone up dramatically. Partly because of technology, technology, yeah, and partly because people are just so tuned on. Like I, I look at your setup, like when we film together, I'm like blimey, and you edit it all yourself, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like you know, I I'm really impressed with people who do it all themselves, and that. Is yeah, hats off. So I definitely see. There's obviously going to be there's that trend of people being um, multi-talented in terms of they create the content, they like present it, they make it, they edit it, they sound whatever. They do everything, which I can't do. (laughs) I uh, um, so there's obviously that avenue. But then I think there's also a need for like just keeping it very real. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why I think people like Instagram stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just fun. It's like not highly edited. And that's what, you know, Instagram used to be right at the beginning. Everybody was just posting like really crappy pictures. right?
0: <laughs> I know.
1: Um, and there's that trend for more long content where it used to be very short content. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I like, um, yeah, I'm always interested to see what's out there. Julie, well done, thank you. Feeling Peckish
0: is the name of her YouTube channel. You should all check it out. Um, okay, I'm gonna sh- switch gears. One, one more question for you. Her name is Camila, she's Colombian, living in India right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, she, she has this question for you. The audio is a little rough, so bear with her. Rachel's life from the very beginning has been marked by unlikely places and unlikely people coming together.
1: A significant part of her life also happened in Germany and of course France, the country in which most of us got to meet her for the first time. The way from art school, marketing endeavors to pastry school and her TV and book careers, I guess I'd like to know uh,
0: from all the places what has been the one or the two biggest learnings or takeaways?
1: Um, The one or two biggest lessons I've learned in life. Um, I think I mentioned it beforehand is expect failure. Uh, Don't feel like it's going to stop you make that failure into advantage or make that disadvantage into advantage turn things on their head so like I said I had a crappy kitchen in Paris sorry am I allowed to say crappy yeah you can (laughs) say you can say merde we'll do that instead oh my cuisine (laughs) it was a very minimalist kitchen in Paris um
0: good way to frame uh, it yeah. yeah
1: Try and see what could your advantage be out there. And we live in a world where we have so many ways of expressing our ideas, of getting it out. When I kind of started, there was blogging. I was MySpace. Hey. <laughs> I think I, I think I still have a MySpace profile out there. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Being resourcefulness is key to being successful <laughs> because, like, no matter what like obstacle you have, find that resource, find that, find that something which will help you get over it, you know, and, and, that will make you stronger. It sounds so cheesy, but every obstacle, if you look at it or every failure can be a benefit to you. And it's hard, it's really hard when you're in in the failure moment. You're like, oh, I hate myself and everybody's super successful. And you have like, and have that, totally go with that. Have Mm. that day where you're really, you feel upset and you feel bad for yourself, do that. But then the following day is like, right, okay, let's be let's look at it let's analyze it let's assess it mm-hmm. and and turn this into something good the question that i
0: ask everyone who comes on this podcast is how do you keep it quirky and I'm curious about how you keep it quirky with both sides of your life. The life where you are a mom and you are doing household things, but also the life where you're this, like, rock star, like, diva, presenter, (laughs) cookbook author, do-it-all. I mean, how how does Rachel Koo keep it quirky? (sighs)
1: Yeah. Um, So... (sighs) Something which I, I have to remind myself a lot, because when you work on a big TV show like Zumbos, um, you are treated like royalty. Yeah. You know, yeah. like for this I wanted a sausage roll the other day when I was working on Zumbos and the runner said, I know where the best sausage roll it is from. And he went to Bourke Street Bakery. Anybody from S- Sydney will know. Burke street bakery and he got me the sausage roll and like I got that and i was like I want a green juice from this place and he fixed that for me too so you know so you like anything and everything people were putting my shoes on uh partly because my skirts are so big I can't see my feet (laughs) because I wear these 50s petticoats but partly because yeah that's you have a dresser you know and then you go back home and he's like right I've got to put the kettle on myself I've got to do the laundry so you have to remember that um, back home, it's back to normal. You know, you don't have everybody whole, at your beck and call. Um, and I think it's taking, taking those moments where you're on set and you have that luxury, enjoying those and remembering them, but then remembering that there's real life too. So it's that balance. And the Swedes have a word for that. It's called lagom. Um, and lagom is like when it's just right. And I think having balance in life where you have a bit of excitement, but you have a bit of boredom, that's just right. I
0: love that. Well, Rachel, it has felt just right having you (laughs) on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure.
1: Pleasure as always. I do. I I apologize for my waffling. (laughs) (laughs) I love your
0: waffling. It's what makes a podcast a good podcast. Yeah,
1: I don't know. Some people are probably speeding it up and some areas like, oh God, we're like, haven't we heard that all before?
0: Ah. (laughs) thank you so much and uh, we'll see you soon thank you Rachel, thank you so much. You guys don't forget to go get her cookbook, The Little Swedish Kitchen. It is beautiful. Her writing is amazing. The recipes are awesome. Do yourself a favor and get that. Um, And check her out on Instagram if you're not already. One of her followers at Rachel Cooks. K-H-O-O-K-S is the cooks of that. Thank you so much to everyone who has signed up for my e-newsletter since I just recently launched it. The first newsletter is going to be in your inboxes on January 31st. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. I'm putting the link in the show notes below. And as always, thank you to Funky Brian for the theme song you hear. And I will see you all right back here next week. In the meantime, don't forget to keep it quirky.